right, good day wherever you are listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio for Friday, September 7th. This week is episode 49, although it is our anniversary, and we're coming to you from Studio B in Coriopolis, Pennsylvania. We're back from a few weeks off, which is why it's only episode 49, and we're celebrating our one-year anniversary with a little state-of-the-industry show. So, my name is Joe Hughes, or Radio Joe. Here with me in the studio is my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. Hey, good afternoon, Joe. Good afternoon, Cliff. And the cyber jockey, CJ, Zach Slotnick. Hey, good afternoon there, Joe. Right, Looks like I'm not going to break anything today. Uh, no, but I, I know hope not. you got a bunch of uh, good music loaded for us. And uh, I'd like to invite everybody to check out our website, www.iaqradio.com. Well, we were packing them in this uh, past week. I don't know what happened, but a bunch of downloads. Thanks to everybody out there, and keep it coming. IAQ Council credits are also available by emailing uh, the show or me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. Let's talk a little bit about today's show. We're going to uh, kick off our second year. We thought it would be a a good idea to bring in someone that's made a lot of news this year, and it looks as though he's going to continue to do so for some time to come. Carl Grimes will be with us shortly to discuss the state of the industry. Uh, we want to talk to him a little bit about a panel discussion he is setting up for the Indoor Air Quality Association convention with some very dignified uh, guests. And of course, we'll get into his appeal and thoughts on the S520 Professional Mold Remediation Standard. We also have Mr. Glenn Fellman with the IE Connections What's News segment. After that, we're going to have Glenn, Carl, and our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, all join us for the roundup. So, let's recap. We're going to start with the microband trivia quiz. We've got Carl Grimes from Healthy Habitats, IE Connections, What's News. We'll bring Carl back in, and then we're going to head out for the roundup, and we're going to round them up and get them on out. So, let's head it over to Cliff for the microband trivia quiz. Friday, September 7th, 2007. The subject matter for this week's two-part microband trivia quiz is as follows. What is the IES, the Indoor Environmental Significance, of these two dates, December 2nd, 1970, and August 17th, 2006? Back to you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Cliff. Before we get rolling here, let's thank our sponsors real quick. Microband Systems, of course, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. DryEase is first in drying solutions at dryease, D-R-I-E-A-Z.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at J-O-N-D-O-N.com, johndon.com. All right, looks like we've got quite a few people on the line here. Most people are figuring out that to contact the show, you've got to go to talkshoe, T-A-L-K-S-H-O-E.com, follow the directions, get your PIN number, 
Our show ID number is 1547. You can text questions in. You can get into the queue and uh, try and get a uh, question in by phone. We also, of course, appreciate any suggestions, and we'll answer questions, take requests, etc. If you email us at uh, joe.hughes at, a- at iaqtraining.com or Cliff Zlotnick, that's Z-L-O-T-N-I-K at C-Z-L-O-T-N-I-C-K, so czlotnick at cs.com, or you can go to the iaqradio.com site. Last but not least, visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. All right, now we got through all that. Let's get on with a little introductory music for our first guest. Okay, Carl Grimes started Healthy Habitats in 1987, specifically to address the needs of individuals who were not being satisfactorily helped by conventional methods. He has developed tools to generate the information necessary for individuals to successfully address their indoor exposure complaints. Mr. Grimes has an intriguing and, at first glance, contradictory position within the indoor air quality issues. As a consumer, he has personally experienced poor indoor air quality. And in the indoor air quality industry, as a professional, he has personally experienced indoor air quality through the eyes of his clients. He understands that each side of the equation has critical truths and mistakes. Carl is also, and has been a member, well, he was a member of the S-500 Water Damage Committee and the S-520 Professional Mold Remediation Committee, and he's the vice president at the Indoor Air Quality Association. And there's a bunch of other things we could go on for quite a while, but let's bring Carl in. Carl, are you on the line with us? Yes, I am, Joe. All so, right. How are you? Good. Great. Great to have you, Carl. Good to have you back. Hey, Carl, I wanted to start with um, your IAQA uh, program that you're putting together for the convention. Can you tell us a little bit about the program, I think it reflects back directly to your experiences. Well, it, it, it reflects back to my experiences, but it also reflects back to uh, the last two IAQA conferences. Uh, two years ago in Orlando, I conducted a uh, workshop on, on standards, and I did a little uh, a unique way. I had a panel of experts. But I let the audience talk, and I made the panel listen for the first hour or so rather than them stand up and give their presentations and talk at or to the audience. They had to listen to the audience first, and it had to do with uh, mold standards, the lack of it, and why there's what I call 5,000 consultants with 7,000 opinions, and despite <laughs> a lot of commonality, there's, you know, the, there's a uh, lot of diversity in there, too. That led to... Uh, 
kind of an ad hoc uh, working group to address it further. And then uh, when IESO, Indoor Environmental Standards Organization, got their anti-accreditation, then we moved all those people into an official position working directly with IESO. Now, the key to that workshop was that for the first time ever, not only did people uh, uh, admit, but they voluntarily said that people should be listening and pay attention to the health effects, not to play doctor, not to diagnose, but we had to include health effects in consulting and uh, contractors' work. The, other, the next year then, last year, um, I co-presented with Claudia, Dr. Claudia Miller on one facet of that having to do with uh, chemical intolerance or what she called toxic and induced loss of tolerance. We did, I think it was a three-hour presentation, and there was uh, so much interest that the, the audience kept us there for another hour after our official ending. And you almost so missed a meeting, year, huh? <laughs> yeah. This year I wanted to move a step beyond that and put together a panel then of medical experts to talk about more than just the chemical side of it, but the general allergen side, uh, specifically mold, because that's the main one that most of us still encounter, uh, and then someone from the public health arena, particularly from the Institute of Medicine, someone that was directly involved in researching uh, for that report and developing that report. Okay, and now who did you get? I have a, a Dr. Richie Shoemaker out of Baltimore that has a rather innovative uh, uh, hypothesis for identifying and diagnosing those that are uh, exposed to mold and other biological toxins that when they stop the exposure, about 24% of the population doesn't recover. Hmm. He has some ideas about why. They don't, and how to treat it. And he's also going to talk about how he and um, Dr. Ken Hudnall at EPA are working to correlate his clinical findings with the new ERMI. Um, and don't ask me what ERMI stands for. Environmental <laughs> Relative Moldiness Index. Used to be EPA, it now goes. it's environmental. All right. Right. So he's going to talk about joke. that. We have a. <laughs> We have a Dr. Nick Nonis out of Denver that's a, 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 a clinical practitioner dealing with all kinds of allergens. So he's going to talk about that and how it affects people and what kind of things to look for if you're a consultant or a contractor. And then we have a, a couple of others that we're still working on the final, final details of, uh, but it, it appears... Uh, that Dr. Claudia Miller will be back on that panel. Great. And we're working with someone with uh, the Institute of Medicine. Uh, I won't mention the name specifically at this point because I, I don't have it confirmed yet, but there will be someone from the Institute of Medicine uh, on that panel also. Great. Sounds like a real show people don't want to miss. I know I'll be there and uh, looking forward to it. On the Institute of Medicine, um, I'm just curious, Carl, do you know if they're continuing to do further study? Will there be more information released, or is it done? Uh, my, I don't really have specific information on it, but my understanding was that they completed their project with the publication of Damp Indoor Spaces and Health, and I'm not aware of another follow-up or add-on to that. Okay, great. Well, let's move on now to a little more of uh, 
state of the industry information. I guess what I'd first like to do, Carl, I know that you're very involved with the Indoor Air Quality Association. You're a vice president with the Indoor Air Quality Association. What would you like to see IAQA accomplish over the next year? Uh, there, there are several things that uh, are near and dear to my heart uh, about IAQA and what I'd like to see them do. I think the one that I'd like to focus on is uh, actually two parts, and the second one will involve the other sister organizations in the unification. The main one is to broaden our base to include uh, more than just like contract, well, certainly more than just mold. That seems to be the focus, and a lot of people think that's all we do. It's not. There are many, many factors and disciplines involved in the indoor environment, and I'd like to see that expanded and address that membership uh, more. I actually lied. There's three points. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. One, yeah, the second one is uh, much more uh, involvement with educating the general public rather than just focusing on our trades and professions to go out to the general public with a variety of methods to make them aware of not only IAQA, but the indoor environment and those issues and, and educate them. Wow, Carl, that's, that was one, I hate to interrupt, but that is something that I hear all the time, so I'm glad to hear you mention that. Go ahead to number three. Okay, number three has to do with our sister organizations. That's the American Indoor Air Quality Council that does certifications, and they've done a, a super job on getting CESB accreditation for that, so it's no longer on a... Uh, well, very distinct from a lot of the certification mills out there. And then the Indoor Environmental Standards Organization, uh, which is extremely active uh, on not only writing standards where there's a need, but also identifying current standards that are already out there that we can then recommend to the IAQA membership uh, for guidance when they're doing their work. So I'd like to see the communication and coordination of those three groups uh, uh, increase and improve. Okay. Now, let's, let's move over to another one of those groups. Cliff, um, what, would, what do you think? Uh, you want to answer that? Or? Sure. Yeah. What would, Carl, what would you like to see the IAQ Council accomplish over the next year? Well, they've done. They've put in a lot of work, and uh, they have a good uh, weekly newsletter coming out. They're communicating with the certificates, and they've got the CESB accreditation. Um, the primary would just be the the communication and coordination uh, between the three organizations, and uh, part and parcel to that would be as IESO develops standards in other areas. Um, whether it's uh, arsenic standards or something to do with asbestos, environmental tobacco smoke, um, bed bugs, lead on toys, those sorts of things that uh, I'd like to see them in include more a, a broader base within the certified indoor environmental consultant. Okay. What about uh, IESO? I've got a two-part question here. What was your initial impression? I know you've been very involved. You got on the... Uh, um, you've been the, uh, what do we call it, the, I don't know, the IAQA's representative to their board, um, and you've been very involved. What's your initial impression of how IESO is coming along? Well, IESO was uh, 
very, very slow in really getting up and running. Uh, but one of the one of the reasons that it was kind of slow after unification, slower than the other two organizations, was that the first task was to become ANSI accredited, uh, so that they could write ANSI uh, standards. And that took a while. Uh, David Bell and I were on that committee with a lot of help. In fact, the majority of the work was done by Christy Lee, the technical consultant for it. And we we applied uh, to ANSI, had to write a uh, policy and procedures document, get it approved by ANSI, get our membership uh, approved so that we were an accredited organization. And that took, even though it took quite a while, we did it in record time, faster than just about anybody else who's ever done it. And that I have to attribute to uh, directly to Christy Lee and her not only expertise but her hard work. Once we got that, then we started gathering people, um, or organizing the committee structure, getting people on committees, and starting them to uh, uh, write some standards. We've got several under development now. And then I was also uh, chair of a committee, co-chair of the committee, to look at what are the standards that are already out there and that apply to the indoor environment? Which ones would we recommend uh, to our members? And we just had a board meeting where we recommended, uh, I think it was 22 uh, standards and um, guideline documents for IESO to consider. Wow. 22 new standards, uh, which uh, I, well, obviously we can't go through the law. It's not new standards. These are standards that are already out there. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Right. There's a lot of ANSI standards, ASHRAE standards. There's some ASTM. Um, so it, it's the core. It's, I think we've pretty much covered the core standards for the indoor environment, particularly uh, ventilation, uh, the ASHRAE with the, you know, the heating and the cooling, ventilation, air distribution, um, S500 is certainly in there. Actually, it's the ANSI IICRC S500, and uh, the current version of the S520 is included in those documents. Which we'll get into in a moment here. So now, what about new standards? What what can we look for there? What's coming down the pipeline? Well, I don't want to get into a lot of detail on those because it's still being worked on. As, well, let, but, me, let me give you one. They have yeah. one current standard, okay? It's for a residential mold screen. Are we going to see yeah. a revised residential mold screen standard? You're going to see it replaced. When we had a meeting in Dallas in June, uh, we basically said, we need to start over on that one. Let's, for, let's set it aside. It'll still be a residential. Uh, it'll deal with residential, and it'll deal with mold but we're not going to have it the basis of or focus on sampling. In fact, one of the first con near, first consensus and near unanimous decisions was to not have this based on sampling like the original standard was. Great. Great. Well, we'll look forward to that, Carl. Now, let's uh, take a quick break if we could. I'd like to first, if you could go to guest three. I think that's the good doctor. Hello, Dieter. Are you on the line? I yes you are. You were looking for me. Yes, Dieter. Good afternoon. Yeah, I just during the unmuted and mute. I didn't hear what you were saying. Yes, I'm here. Good. Welcome, welcome back. We uh, took a little vacation. How was uh, your time off? Uh, time off was wonderful. 
had a great time in wonderful Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, yeah. Uh, I tell you one thing. They do a lot of good things down there. Anyway, I had absolutely nothing to do with the indoor environment. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, back from playing tennis today. Boy, it was hot out there. Good. And I was short of... Uh, yeah. Heat exhaustion was starting. <laughs> that has something to do with the indoor environment. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, not, not so much in this country, but others. I was just curious. But, of, uh, <coughs> did you have anything that uh, you wanted to add to what Carl had mentioned? Or well, well, yeah. I think I said that. Yeah, uh, Joe. I was a student when the first EPA regulations came out in 1968-ish or something like this. I was a student when the first regulations, the Coal Mine Safety and Health Act came out. I was a student when OSHA was. I went to the hearings, the preliminary hearings before the laws were passed in Washington. Yeah, I was there, and I think our industry here now is, you know, we, uh, how should I say that? I mean, we have to learn. by by looking at the overall picture, and not every approach is going to be successful, I'm sure of that, but we had to learn a lot of things uh, when, you know, all these other federal acts, you know, the, the Toxic Substance Control Act, you know, all of that was published, Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, and nobody really knew what the heck was going on on day one. It was studied, and I think our approach is right. We've got to talk about it. I don't know mold is the most toxic. I have no idea. But no, nobody else knows. We haven't studied it, and I think we ought to study it. So you feel like we're uh, not rushing things, Dieter, or do you, in your experience? Well, no, I think not rushing is, uh, that's, I don't think that's the, um, uh, the, the, the right word. I think we got to look at it and get people in and discuss those uh, things, and sooner or later it will shake out somewhere. It will come out in the wash of which approach is right. And, um, you know, when we talked about standards in the old days, when OSHA adopted uh, the ACGIH, the American, I'm not going to get caught on that (laughs) one, (laughs) the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, when OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, adopted their standards, so to, or adopted their guidelines to be standards, everybody was screaming. Said, this is not right. You know, all of a sudden, industry has to put up with this, and we don't want that. That is a huge amount of money that the industry has to spend to take care of our workers, and we don't want to do that. Well, we, we have found out that it's a damn good idea to take care of our workers, to keep it, to, to recycle our workers. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of when OSHA back in 90 was going to have an indoor air quality standard, and primarily it, it focused on environmental tobacco smoke, and yeah. the standard never went through, but you don't see anybody smoking in buildings anymore. It's kind well, of interesting. See what I mean? You know, it comes out in the wash. I think, I mean, we we don't... We don't have to legislate something that is completely obvious right up front. Okay. You know, I mean, we, we, can't, we shouldn't have a law that tells us that we have to breathe. Well, great. It's always great to have your input, Dieter. We'll come back to you on the roundup. Was there something else you wanted to add? 
Uh, where is my music? Last time we had Beethoven. Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, you know what? If I'm not mistaken, that is in C sharp minor. I'm not 100% sure. Let me see if CJ can pull You, that you are right about that one. <laughs> All right, Dieter. We'll bring you back for the roundup. I'll see what okay. I can do. Thanks for joining us. Okay. Oh, pleasure. Anytime. Let's go with some intro music. I believe we found it for the IE Connections What's News. A special request, Glenn Fellman. Uh, yes, we do. Let's we, see what we've we got, CJ. All right. Well, we find the Lou Grant music for you there. We've got to unmute... Uh, We've got to unmute Glenn. Hello, Glenn. Hello. That's unbelievable. That's <laughs> All right. Next time I want Car 54, where are you? Okay, we'll talk about Car 54, where are you? We, I'll tell you what. It was a little scratchy, but they pulled it out of somewhere. I don't know. That's these, amazing. These two are a team. So what's news, Mr. Feldman? Well, i got to tell you, uh, IAQ Radio's anniversary is what's new and what's great for uh, today. I'm uh, really celebrating with you guys. Well, now, you. I hadn't I hadn't realized how big IAQ Radio was until yesterday when I got my email and you know, I, I'm the executive director of IAQA. We get a lot of invitations to do a lot of stuff and we got another invitation to be a sponsor of an event. And typically these things start off by really telling you, you know, why you need to be there and what's great about this show, why your organization should sponsor it. And this one started off right away by telling me the keynote speaker was none other than Radio Joe Hughes. <laughs> Radio <laughs> Joe Hughes, the keynote speaker. Right, I may and regret I like, right. that. I don't know. <laughs> it's, 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 in 12 months' time, these guys have made it. So congratulations. It's a, it's a great service you guys do to the industry. It's really super. Thank we appreciate you. your sponsorship. Thank you. Too. Yes, we do. We definitely do. So what's happening? We've been gone for what three or four weeks now glenn do you want to fill us in on some old stuff some new stuff it's up to you i'll give you i'll give you sort of a, a roundup of some different stuff that we've been following over the last month great uh we have a great story coming out in a newspaper this week about the um, air traffic controllers union and complaints about the air quality and faa control towers it's really unbelievable what we've un uncovered john miller uh, our investigative reporter got in uh, side with the union bosses in Detroit and uh, got all kinds of information about uh, inspections and evaluations done by the union using their own uh, consultants and contractors. Got some really uh, amazing stories. It's, if, if, if you're scared by what could happen in the air because of Al-Qaeda, you'd be twice as scared when you read about the conditions inside the air traffic control towers in this country. It's really amazing. Uh -oh. uh, we've got a cover, a cover photo of, a, uh, of an air traffic controller with a uh, bucket by the side of his, his uh, terminal catching water leaking through the ceiling. Oh, great. I'm flying to Pensacola next week, so... <laughs> don't don't, don't do this to me, Glenn. <laughs> what else do you have? Oh, we got a lot of great stuff. Um, the um, National... Um, two organizations, I'm going to get this right here. The National Association of Home Inspectors and the National Association of Certified Home Inspectors, NAHI and NACHI, uh, got into a big uh, legal uh, issue, legal, legal lawsuit, hmm. with NAHI suing NACHI, claiming that their name was interfering with the other's names and copyright issues. And NACHI agreed to a settlement agreement. 
and said they would change their name to Internachi. And it was really promoted heavily among the home inspection industry and the IEQ industry as um, you know, settling a long dispute. Well, things haven't gone well. Now, <laughs> Nachi is being accused of bad faith, of ignoring the settlement terms, and all the parties are finding themselves back in court. And part of the settlement terms were that neither organization would say anything ugly about the other one. Well, those, uh, those settlement terms have definitely been breached because there's a lot of ugly stuff being said. And you can read about it on page six of our September issue. Great. Great. All right. What else? So now, uh, another one. Um, we reported several months ago that um, uh, Charles Cressy of the Water Out Drying Corporation had filed ethics charges against several of the um, officials of IICRC. And he put in a formal ethics complaint and said that they really were abusing their positions in IICRC for their own personal gain. And it called out uh, some folks, um, including uh, Dan uh, Bernanzi, uh, Jeff Bishop, oh, excuse me, Jeff Bishop, Larry Cooper, and Barry Costa. All of them have been cleared in the ethics complaint. The IICRC Ethics Committee did an investigation. I believe it was a nine-month or seven-month investigation. Uh, they went through each allegation. They tried to get corroboration from various uh, people, uh, weren't unable to do so, and basically uh, these guys have been cleared on, on all of the charges that were put up against them. We covered the story pretty heavily when the charges first came out. We felt we had an obligation and a duty to these guys to help clear their names now that uh, the investigation's over. So you read about that. On the other hand, um, that's uh, one sort of issue off to the side for IICRC now and resolved. The procedural complaints with respect to the S520, which Carl can speak to as well, uh, those are ongoing and have been ongoing. We've got the latest on uh, both the uh, Larkin and the Grimes appeals. Great. And we'll get into more detail on that right after this uh, this segment. And then we're going to bring you back for the roundup. Yep, yep, yep. Great. I got uh, one more dovetails well into some of the stuff Dieter was talking to, which Go is that uh, ACGIH. I don't have to say what it is now. No. ACGIH. They are uh, looking good in uh, in what has been, uh, I guess, their fourth lawsuit, fourth big lawsuit of the last decade. Uh, this suit was brought by the International Bromide Solvents Association and several others against ACJH and several others, claiming that ACJH was a quasi-government agency and that its TLVs were really government standards. And uh, ACJH has defended itself on that one, and uh, those charges have now been uh, dismissed. And there's one one charge left that's uh, unrelated to that, and it's looking good for ACJH on that as well. And that's good stuff too, because if, if if ACJH doesn't prevail in these in these cases, it really has a potential for the entire TLV system to come crumbling down. Great. Now I can't let you go without getting getting yourself a little plug in because I think you did a great job getting a keynote speaker for the IAQA. You want to tell the tell the uh, listeners who that is? Sure, it's Bill Nye, the Science Guy, and we are really excited about it. Um, I hope everyone's familiar with Bill Nye and seen his shows. He's a five-time Emmy Award Absolutely. winner, but uh, he 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 has done a lot of shows on his own home, and he's done some amazing things with his home in terms of making it just as energy efficient as you could ever imagine, completely green, everything's uh, recyclable, and so forth. He's going to talk about those kinds of things, but then he's going to also talk about into air quality innovations and, and things that are coming up in the future. Uh, very, very cutting-edge presentation, and he's really jazzed up about doing it as well. I've spoken with him and his, his people, and, and he's really looking forward to being there at IEQA. Great. Well, thank you, Glenn, and, and thanks for joining us, and we'll bring you back for the roundup. I think we've actually got another intro clip for Carl. Is that is that true, Zach? This might yeah. be a first. Two intro clips for one guest. Yeah. All right. 
The trustees have a few suggestions they would like to submit to you. I think you know what the trustees can do with their suggestions. I don't know what they have to say. It makes no difference anyway. Whatever it is, I'm against it. No matter what it is or who commenced it, I'm against it. Your proposition may be good, but let's have one thing understood. Whatever it is, I'm against it. And even when you've changed it or condensed it, I'm against it. I'm opposed to it. On general principles, I'm opposed to it. For months before my son was born, I used to yell from night till morn, whatever it is. I'm against it. And I... <laughs> hey, right, Carl, what do you Carl. think of that? <laughs> We've got to get Carl back on here. <laughs> All right, Carl, sorry about the uh, the surprise there, but I, I had to laugh when Cliff came up with that one. Uh, that's, I, <laughs> I didn't tell you that. You got Gilbert and Sullivan in there. Uh, that's, that's more along my taste in music, and you're getting closer. By the way, Dieter's... Uh, Request for a Beethoven that would that would please me to no end. Oh, great! But this was funny. I just don't want to leave everybody with the uh, impression that I'm always against everything. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> but but speaking of that, uh, why are you doing this, Carl? Why have you filed this S five twenty appeal? Well, it 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 goes back to, and I'll, I'll make make this fairly brief. Um, I was on your show about, I don't know, fourth or fifth uh, show. About a year ago. Yep. Started a year ago. Yep. And, and by the way, before I say anything else, uh, I'm very impressed with the show. I, I, I don't get a listen live as often as I want to, but I download uh, the programs, and I'm just very, sitting here very impressed uh, with the, the quality and the advances you guys have made, and you've got the music, you've got the, the light tone, you've got Glenn coming in and does a super job on updates and so forth. I'm, I'm just really enjoying the show, and I wanted to let you guys know that uh, congratulations on your first anniversary and how impressed I am. We're actually a little bit early on the anniversary. It's We didn't want our wives to forget, so <laughs> <laughs> we figured we'd be a little <laughs> A week early. We weren't even sure, to be honest with you. <laughs> no, nah, actually, it went really well. Well, Carl, now, I, I don't you become the contrarian here. Well, well, that's. I think that's one of the questions here. Huh? <laughs> right. Okay, uh, Cliff? Ab absolutely. I'm going to repeat my question. So, why did you file this appeal? Why are you doing this? Okay, it it goes back to my background on how I got into this business in the first place. Got involved in the industry. Uh, just briefly, I had my own experiences with uh, uh, health effects and complaints. I still struggle with some of it, not as much as I used to. But my whole initial orientation was working with people that couldn't be helped by traditional means. Uh, now, most of the population is, and that's great, but not everybody is. So I was focusing, and my main focus and, and passion is still with those where traditional methods don't work, that doesn't mean that there's nothing that can be done, and it doesn't mean that they're crazy. But there are ways to, to deal with that. So I work with a lot of what's commonly, commonly called victims. 
So when I wrote my book that came out in 99 and, uh, wow, Holly Bailey somehow found out about my book. She's past president of uh, IAQA and she invited me to an IAQA conference and people there heard me and I was invited for some other things and I was invited to serve on this committee writing a mold standard, which turned out to be S520. And there were a lot of people that I'm kind of butting heads with now that were really instrumental in getting me, recognizing me, and uh, that I had something to contribute of value and getting me involved in the industry. And the reason I wanted to do that, because I'd never served on these big committees and consensus documents and so forth, was instead of working one person at a time, I saw a way to help more people uh, through the writing of standards. And uh, so that's fundamentally where I'm coming from. So it's critically important to me that anything that I'm involved with actually help people and not just the general population, which is, you know, the, the business models are the, you know, where's the biggest market? There's another market out there, and there's other needs out there, and that's what I serve. That's where my passion is, and that's, that's the segment that I, I really want to serve. So when things are going well, I'm not a contrarian. I'm a supporter. But when things started going not so well, I started being a contrarian, and as things got worse, then I became not a contrarian but a little stronger than that, and it eventually led then to my resignation from the FY20 committee and filing a formal appeal and some other things that I've done to try to let people know what I what I think uh, is wrong and what I think needs to be done to correct it. Is part of your motivation for doing this trying to embarrass the IICRC? Oh, absolutely not. And uh, I, I would like to separate the standards writing uh, part of IICRC from IICRC organization as a whole. Uh, I tell you, I took the WRT training. Um, you know, I, I, I'm familiar with uh, with more of the IICRC than just the standards writing uh, body of it, though that's the one I have the most experience with. And uh, I, I want to separate those two. My my complaint is. And my complaint isn't with IICRC standards themselves. The issue really comes down to um, they, they want an ANSI accreditation for their standard for SY20 like they got for S500. And in my opinion, they are not following and perhaps not cognizant of the purpose of ANSI, not just the, technical, the technicalities of ANSI procedures, but the spirit and the intent and the purpose of ANSI to write a standard that represents the industry by consensus through a transparent process. And that's what my objections are, is that they, I don't see them following ANSI. If they wanted to publish their SY20 standard right now, as is, I would have no objection. And I've said before in print and um, other and publicly, in presentations and so forth, that I would support an IICRC S520 as it stands uh, right now. But if they want to be ANSI accredited, then they need to follow ANSI, uh, their own policy and procedures, 
They need to follow ANSI essentials. I don't think they're doing that. And here's the key to why I'm, I'm doing this, Cliff, to specifically answer your question. ANSI is not the policeman. ANSI is the judge. And they adjudicate or make decisions only on objections, complaints, or appeals that are brought before them. So if nobody says anything, then whatever's presented to ANSI, they will uh, they will approve it, assuming you know that they filed it appropriately, that sort of thing. But if there's issues about the process of doing it, transparency, fairness, consensus, due process, etc., then they will act on objections. They will act on appeals and complaints. That's why I'm doing this. That's why I keep uh, pushing it, pursuing it. I have to exhaust all the due process procedures with ICRC before I can file the formal complaint with ANSI. Now, if I ICRC and I can resolve these issues, then there's no ANSI, formal ANSI appeal. Uh, so I, I want people to understand it's kind of like the legal system with due process, although it's, it's not a court of law, but kind of think in those terms. Uh, so I'm filing a complaint. These are the things that I disagree with. I ICRC and I continue to disagree um, uh, on most of the issues. Uh, so if we can't come to an agreement, then we take it to the ultimate judge for ANSI accreditation, for an ANSI standard, and that's ANSI itself. And we will let them decide. You know, Carl, you're involved heavily with IAQA and IESO. Can you honestly tell me that there's no competition motivation or political motivation behind your actions? That's a really good question because there's been allegations, hints, direct statements about that and other kinds of uh, uh, nefarious behavior, I guess, is one word that was used at one point. Let me address uh, IESO and then the major one IAQ second. IESO, there was a statement made that Carl Grimes is vice president of IESO, and he wants to destroy S520 so IESO can replace it with their own. Well, first of all, I'm not vice president of IESO, and the, the, the person or persons that reportedly made that allegation uh, really should, should know better, and they know how to check that out rather than just say it. Uh, second of all, IESO's mission statement, which I was directly involved in writing, uh, specifically says that we want to identify standards that are already out there and not compete with it or re reinvent the wheel, but to identify those and uh, to, the, to the membership that these are the standards you need to be aware of if you're working in the indoor environment. Second, as a uh, fellow ANSI member along with IICRC, ANSI won't allow directly competitive standards. So that charge there, as we want to replace it or compete with IICRC, is absurd. The second one, another point is I'm chair of the committee, as I mentioned earlier, for third-party standards, standards that already exist. And we've already, not just me, but my committee has uh, said to the IESO executive committee that does all the you know final approvals and so forth. We want S500 uh, to be recognized. We want S520 to be recognized. So we aren't, the IESO isn't competing with IRCRC. In fact, what I would love is for people to come to IESO and say, you know, here's a way to measure 
something. Here's a way to uh, assess, not remediate, but assess. Here's a way to test for something that relates to whether it's mold or bacteria or heavy metals and water damage situations. Look at the complementary effect that would have on helping people, uh, you know, use Institute and be uh, and find out about S500 and S520. I think the synergism there would be fantastic. IAQA, yeah, I've been involved. I've been on the board. This is, I think, fourth year or something like that. I'm vice president. Uh, I, I don't see where there's any competition for two reasons. One is we don't have certifications anymore, so the big topic of concern is this indoor environmental professional or IEP. So IEP, we, we don't have a competing certification for that. We don't have any certifications, as a matter of fact. And second of all, IAQA is really more of an umbrella organization uh, for other organizations and disciplines. We've identified, I think, somewhere around 15 core disciplines involved in the indoor environment. And we would really like to have people that belong to, like, ASHRAE, IICRC, uh, NADCA, ACA, uh, ACGIH, AIHA, also be members of IAQA, and our, our uh, membership fees are structured in such a way that that's very possible. That way, we'll kind of a clearinghouse or umbrella organization. All these disciplines can come together uh, to work, uh, to network, uh, find out about each other, how to cooperate, how to integrate programs. So dealing with the indoor environment and not just each segment of it. So I, I don't, I don't see any competition or anything, and I have no hostility. Uh, you know, w- with any other organization. I think the acronym police were uh, and at the donut shop there, Carl, and we can't go back through that list of acronyms, but uh, I know Cliff has another question. Yeah, absolutely. Carl, okay. um, have you received or are you currently receiving assistance in your appeal? Either people are consulting with you, professional consultants, legal assistants, attorneys, uh, money? Are you receiving anything from IAQ, I, IAQA or IESO helping you further along your aspirations in this appeal? Uh, no, absolutely not. I'm not receiving any, and it's not, not not because I ask and they've refused. I haven't even asked. In fact, uh, I've refused. When some of this first started, a number of people, individuals, not organizations, but individuals came to me and said, how can we help? And I said, Thank you, but at this point, um, I, I, I need to keep this clean and pristine that this is me doing this, and it's not an organization. It's not a, a group of people that maybe have hard feelings or negative thoughts about IACRC or an axe to grind or past history or whatever. I wanted to keep it as focused on the issues as possible. And I, 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 I've heard from several sources that, I'm using attorneys, I'm, or IAQA is supplying legal advice or something, and I, I'm a little bit ambivalent about how to uh, respond to that because in, in one sense it's an insult that what I've done and the positions I've taken and the way I've positioned it and worded it and so forth, that they think that I'm not capable of doing that, <laughs> that I've got to have help, <laughs> okay? Yep. On the other hand, it's very complimentary that, wow, you know, it's it's good enough that they think that I'm getting some expert help. 
So I'm a little bit ambivalent on that, and I see a little bit of humor in it. But, no, absolutely, categorically, I have not received any assistance from anyone, specifically IAQA, IESO, or any other organization. Well, the reason that I asked you some of those questions, Carl, is you've heard the rumors, I've heard the rumors as well, and people will oftentimes say things uh, behind people's back that they won't say to their face. They make assumptions. They won't ask the questions. And I felt it was incumbent upon, you know, Joe and I at IAQ Radio in terms of being fair and balanced, you know, to ask those questions. And, you know, we have some other ones coming as well. All right. Well, oh, no. The questions are fine, Cliff. And I, I, well, I appreciate the opportunity to say this to somebody, you know, to a broader audience and people can... Uh, uh, you know, they can come in and later and download the, this this show and and hear me say it again. Absolutely, well, I, I I I welcome the opportunity. Well, Carl, let's let's talk briefly about the um, the recent release now of S five twenty. I guess it's been released again for ANSI public review. Um, and ANSI, we we haven't been caught by the uh, acronym police here yet, but that's the uh, I believe the uh, American National Standards Institute. But anyhow, how can people or interested parties obtain a copy for review since it is out for review again? Uh, well, they can they can contact ANSI directly at uh, ANSI.org, or they can. Uh, uh, go directly to the person that is responsible for releasing that document per ANSI requirements, and that's Larry Cooper. And his email is textilcon, that's T-E-X-T-I-L-E-C-O-N, at AOL.com. So textilcon, textile consultant, okay? Right. Textilcon at AOL.com, and send Larry Cooper an email and request uh, uh instructions access to the document and i received my uh, email late yesterday that here's the procedures and i have the document uh i have the document printed out now i guess i'm, I'm curious you know what what does that do with respect to your appeal now that it's been published again does that make the appeal well, well my appeal is over I had a formal hearing June 11th, and the decision was released June 19th. And it's kind of so this has nothing to do with my appeal with IICRC, but it does help satisfy uh, what I wanted done and what Elisa Larkin, the other appellant who had a hearing a couple of weeks ago, um, she, she had the opportunity, according to their rules, to have another person with her during the hearing to, so that the, both people could speak and I was that second person. And what we both said was that we were asked by one of the pa uh, hearing panel members what, we, what, what did we need to be satisfied. And one of the key requirements was that this document go back out for public review. And the reason, um, a couple of quick reasons, is one, it's been so long and there has been controversy, let the public know this is where the document is now and give them a chance to see for themselves that if it's really true, that it's a good content, that there's consensus with the, within the consensus body, then send it out to the industry and let them see it and comment on it. The other part of that is uh, 
to get the buy-in from the industry. If you really want this to be an industry document, not just an IICRC document for their registrants, if you really want this to be an industry document, send it out, let them see it, and let them participate, and then you'll have that buy-in, that acceptance, and you'll repair, you know, any, uh, maybe not damage, but any, you know, a uh, uh, little bit of martyr to your reputation or whatever. So I thought it was a good specific move and also a public relations type move. And so I'm very glad that they've done that. Great. Now, Carl, I, I'm aware of this little series you've put together. It's called uh, Did You Know? And that's been going out to people on your email list. And it's uh, actually very interesting. And number two of Did You Know? You advise readers that the meeting minutes for an 18-month time period weren't approved. Is this a minor oversight? Do you know or can you speculate on why this occurred? I mean, it's just it's beyond my comprehension as a board member that meetings would continue to go on without previous meeting minutes approved? And secondly, what's the hazard of not approving the minutes? Well, yeah, the um, minutes are absolutely critical just from an organizational point of view uh, to have a written record rather than uh, a verbal memory of something. You know, memory is one of the least reliable sources of information, and this has been demonstrated with the works in courts of law with juries and so forth, uh, that memory is, is very nebulous and it can confusing. You get, you know, I mentioned earlier something about standards with 5,000 consultants and 7,000 opinions. You get 5,000 people and ask them their memory of an event that they all shared, say like Super Bowl 30, whatever it was, when the Denver Broncos, you know, won the Super Bowl. And you, out of that 5,000 people, you're going to get 7,000 opinions, and you're going to have 200,000 saying that they were in the stadium that only holds 75,000. Yeah, so right. you get all that mixed in there. So how do you verify that something was done and memorialize that so you can go back years from now and say, this is what was done? Well, you write it, okay? And further... You have it reviewed by the people that did it, and they have a chance to say, you know what, you just made a mistake here. For example, I just went through, a, I gave a deposition two weeks ago, and I just went through the transcript. And there's little typos. They leave out a word or something like that. It changes meaning. So it needs to be reviewed, and then it needs to be voted on so that everybody gets a chance to look at it, and everybody gets a chance to correct it or clarify it, and everybody gets a chance to vote on it. And then you've got a written record that says, this is what we did, and, and we all voted, and here was the vote. And if there were objections to it, then here's the objection, and here's how it was handled. And then there's not only no dispute, but there is perfect recall from years later even. It's a fundamental requirement of just doing business, of just being an organization, of just doing work. Well, that's why I'm so confused, Carl. I mean, you were in the room. Um, others were in the room. Experienced professionals. How could meetings go on, go forward, without a review of the meeting minutes from the prior meeting? I mean, I'm, I'm just, I can't wrap my head around how this happened. Well, I, I can't either. One quick thing I want to add before I get to that is okay. that 
one of the specific requirements for ANSI accreditation is that they can verify the, it's called the legislative history of the document. Where did you start? How did you change it each step along the way? And you document all that through minutes that's then reviewed and approved at the next meeting or, you know, whatever procedure they come up with. And in this case, IICRC said we will do it, you know, at the next meeting. Um, and so it, it's not only just, you know, a cornerstone of, of uh, doing development, committee work or whatever, but it's a specific, absolute essential by ANSI. So if they don't have the minutes, they can't satisfy ANSI, so I'm bringing that forward and saying, since you disagree with me on the issue of minutes, then we're going to let ANSI decide that. Now, how does it happen? You know, that's something I've been scratching my head about because uh, in the heat of the content and the diversity of opinions, uh, which is going to be in the various facets of industry, it's how, how do you develop this? And you get caught up in that and you rely on the leadership uh, to, to make sure that they're following their own procedures. Part of leadership is they tell us, here's what we need to do. And it, to me, it was a failure of the leadership of the standards writing body, of the standards committee, that they didn't do this. That was their responsibility. But once it was identified, the consensus body then had the responsibility to stand up and with their votes and their written objections and their written statements and say, hey, we messed up here. We need to fix it before we go forward. And both the leadership and the consensus body failed to do that. Last statement on that. Uh, the consensus body, in my appeal, did direct the standards committee to get the past minutes out and for review and a vote, and they gave them 15 days to do it. Well, two and a half months later, the Lisa Larkin's appeal, that still hadn't been done, and the appeal panel in their decision redirected the Standards Committee to make those minutes available. They have now posted them on their website, so the current consensus body can look at that, review it, and they're going to vote. But I'm not included. I resigned from the committee, so I don't have any access after I resign. But a point of contention between me and ICRC is that when I was still on that committee for about two years before I resigned, I should have access to those minutes so I can provide my input. And they aren't allowing that. So that's a, that's a new point that uh, is, is between us. You know, in regards to these policies and procedures, Carl, would you agree that the S520 volunteers wanted to simply provide technical input, you know, the real nitty-gritty, the stuff that they do on a daily basis, and not be bogged down with bureaucracies and procedures and so on and so forth, and that the, you know, minutes, uh, you, you know, just kind of fell by the way, by the wayside. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And I even even after the policy, after we got anti accreditation, we were told that I still didn't understand what it was. I didn't know that really there was a policy and procedure manual out there. I didn't know it was I could go to ANSI and ask for it. So anybody can go to ANSI and ask for anybody's policy and procedure, and they can get it. It's very open. It's very transparent. It's very public. I didn't realize all that until the IEP issue suddenly hit me between the eyes, and then I, 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 it didn't seem right what I was being told, so I went and I got the document, and I read the document. And I started then responding and 
you know, asking for responses in terms of that document. So, in a sense, the consensus body shouldn't have to get involved in that. But if there is a deficiency or a failure or error from leadership, that does not resolve the consensus body from their responsibility. They, when they vote to approve a document, a standard, they are saying not only do we approve the content, but we are, in a sense, validating that we have followed proper procedures. And that's what they that that that's what they really haven't been educated on, Cliff. That that's a failure of leadership on uh, in my opinion. They need to educate the consensus body on what the policy and procedures are and what their responsibilities are. And part of the failure is that they didn't even provide the documents to the consensus body that their own policy and procedure says that they shall provide. Carl, well, this is uh, very interesting. We're going to go into overtime here a little bit since we have that capability here at IAQ Radio. And uh, we're going to take another five minutes. Cliff has a few more questions, and then we're going to do the roundup for a quick five minutes. We've got a bunch of people on the line, too. By the way, if you want to ask a question, um, Zach, what's, is there a way they can queue in, or do they just text us? Uh, the best uh, the best way, Joe, would be if they were to text in. Text in questions if you have them. We'll try and get to them. i got a bunch of people on the line here. I'm sorry I can't get to them right now. Cliff, go ahead. Yeah, and, and in order to be fair and balanced, Carl, can you tell me what the IICRC did right in regards to S520? Well, first of all, their intent was good. Second of all, what they did right is they did go out and seek diversity of opinion of people to bring in to write the document. And one of the things that they have done right, despite their vote and some of their public stance and their private stance about the appeals and maybe me personally, every significant issue that Elisa Larkin and I have brought up about IEP, about minutes and due process, every one of those significant issues they've actually addressed. They worked with Elisa on revising the policy and procedure for future standards uh, to incorporate many of the things that were revealed. To be quite honest, they went through a learning curve, too, just like the consensus body did. And they needed to learn about process and procedure. They've been doing writing standards for decades, and this is, you know, that put them in a whole new realm, and they needed time to learn it. And, you know, I'll give them credit for responding in that way. They're just doing it in a kind of behind-the-scenes way and continuing to project the appearance or not correcting the appearance that Elisa Larkin and I are just instructionists that are out to get them with something personal about it, and we aren't doing that. We just want them to follow their own policy and procedures. We want them to follow ANSI essentials. We want them to get ANSI accreditation. This is an important document, and uh, the deposition I mentioned a moment ago, if I could have said that S520 was an ANSI document like S500, I would have uh, had less hassle in presenting my, my evidence in that deposition. It's a critical document, and it's even more important that it be ANSI accredited. You know, if you had, if I gave you the power uh, to fix it, can you fix it? You know, do you have any suggestions for uh, fixing it or how it can be fixed? Uh, yeah, there, there's specific ones, but quite frankly, it's it, it's going to take, I don't know, another six months, maybe a year to do it. And I, if I had a, if I had advice to IICRC, it would be 
they need to get a consultant to help current leadership to really understand what ANSI is and what ANSI requires and sit down with that leadership or change leadership if they aren't cooperative or whatever it takes to get somebody experienced with ANSI rather than having to go through the learning curve at the same time that things are, you know, kind of falling apart here, not being done right, and get that expertise in there so that they say, okay, here's what we should have done. We don't have to learn it. We rely on this expert. And then what do we have to do to correct it? They made The current leadership made some decisions about how to correct it, and a lot of it was pretty good. But it's still kind of behind this super confidentiality thing so that people that need to know don't really know. So I, I more openness and transparency and some expertise, uh, you know, historical uh, experience and success with ANSI standards, that would, that would be the first thing that I would do, not the technical aspects of it. Would get somebody in there that they, could, they can really rely on. All right, Carl, let me get one more, then we're going to the roundup. Um... I have heard a few of these, and I'm wondering, Cliff had actually written a question here. Haven't a significant number of your industry peers and colleagues expressed their concerns over the negativity of your activities? I mean, it's you know, it's, you've been pretty rough on these guys. Have you gotten a lot of feedback from your peers and colleagues? I've gotten a tremendous amount of feedback. People that I didn't even know or I didn't know that they knew me, and it's all been positive. It's been very supportive. Uh, I was at a conference uh, uh, in Massachusetts a month or so ago, and there were people stopping me in the hallway and saying, oh, you're Carl Grimes, you know, good work, keep it up, and so forth. The negative comments I've gotten is from the Standards Committee leadership, and not directly to me, but, you know, behind the scenes and what all the leaks and the confidentiality, you know, it doesn't work. Uh, over half the consensus body is leaked at one time or another. So, you know, their confidentiality isn't working, and that's an indication that, you know, people have opinions and they have strong feelings. I've received some criticism from uh, some of the uh, consensus body members. I've talked to them face-to-face, and once they understood my side and not just the other side, uh, then they understand better what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So the only negativity has come from the leadership and a few of the consensus body members, and despite the votes, like 13 to 2 against my appeal, uh, those negative votes don't correlate and are contradictory to what they tell me in person, what they leak to various people, and what other people tell me that they're saying to them, too. So, yeah, I've got a lot of feedback, and I'd say 98% of it has been extremely positive and extremely supportive all right well thank you carl we're going to uh th- this is really a first now we've got a third piece of music to lead on the way out and then we're going to bring you back in for the roundup right when criminals in this world appear and break the laws that they should fear and fight who see or hear the cry goes up both far and near for underdog, 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 speed of lightning, roar of thunder, fighting all who rob or plunder, underdog, underdog. All right. 
right, thanks. There's CJ. CJ came up with all kinds of stuff for Carl this week. Next segment is the roundup. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw CJ, let's bring back our three. We've got uh, Glenn. Do we still have you on the line? Sure do. Great, Carl. We've got you back. You bet. All right. And how about Dr. Still, Dr. Dieter? I'm still here. Can you hear me? We can hear you fine. Excellent, okay. gentlemen. Let's start with you, Glenn. Anything you'd like to add, or anything you'd like to uh, comment on? Well, I thought uh, uh, Carl you did a good job there talking about S S520 and your experiences with there. I, I just have to add that, you know, from, from, from the perspective of someone who's really is outside, I mean, I'm not on the committee, um, but who knows IICRC well because I was a former technical editor before they became anti-accredited, you know, it, it does seem to me like there's just some glaring things like these minutes. Um, I can't speak to a lot of the other procedural issues that have come up because I just don't know, but not having minutes for such a long period of time does seem very, very unusual and um, does seem to point to a uh, you know the kinds of flaws that can can cause a standard to really um, have mistakes in it, and it does seem like an easily corrected thing. So I hope that that gets on the right track. Yeah, I think Carl made some good suggestions for how to uh, how to get it back on the right track. Cliff, did you want to add anything? Yeah, actually, I, I had something that I wanted to ask Glenn and uh, Dieter on, and, and even Carl. You know, in my opinion, in, in in doing restoration and remediation work, you know, over the past thirty some years, we would occasionally run into issues that dealt with unions and you know unions for some reason always seem concerned about health and safety and I, I sometimes wonder whether that's just a, a method of labor negotiations and, and so on and so forth and you know certainly having water drip in a bucket in an air where an air traffic controller works would be unacceptable but uh, you know, I just wonder, Dieter, have, you know, you've worked a lot with unions, and have you ever found them to be what I would consider to be overzealous in terms of, uh, you know, using indoor air quality for other reasons? Yes, I, I, I ran into that, and it just was being, you know, to be, how should I say, um, um, in being in the way, just like you know, we have the right. We don't really know what we want, but we have the right, so therefore we're going to bitch about it. Right. And I, I don't like that attitude. I don't like that attitude at all. But if I just can summarize a little bit, I'm so glad that uh, Glenn mentioned that. I contributed to the defense fund of the... Whoop, that's... Mike, that this is not active sauna. It sounds like active sauna. <laughs> dive, dive, dive. Das Boot. We're talking das about boot. air controllers. Yeah, that is frightening. But, you know, uh, uh, Glenn mentioned that the ACGIH, American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, I knew they were in litigation. I contributed to, uh, to their defense fund. And I didn't even know, I didn't even know that it is still going on. And apparently there is one more issue not really related to the threshold limit values, TLVs, I'm not going to get caught. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Dieter. Um, and I'm glad. I am glad that there is somebody who takes out the time and energy. I mean, what, what Carl is doing, 
yeah, I, I would personally say that's too much for me. Let him bitch around over there. I don't give a damn anymore. And he is working for it. And I think we need people like this who have time to do that. When I was at the University of Pittsburgh, it would have been my job. I can take out a whole day of my schedule as a university professor. And I said, hey, I can do something. In fact, I'm supposed to do something for the community. So I'm glad to see uh, that, 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 that Kyle is involved. And I think, yeah, we have rules and regulations on how to make rules and regulations. <laughs> and if they are there, well, then I want them. There you go. It's very yes, well said. I don't, I don't want, oh, we a committee, uh, we, were, we, we all acted in your interest. We didn't put any minutes down and we're not really going to tell you what we did. I don't, I don't think that is acceptable. I agree. And I, yeah. I'd also like to point out Elisa Larkin has put in a lot of time and effort on this uh, issue as well. Yeah. So it's not just Carl, but there are no, others. Oh, oh, I'm sure there were more people behind it. Oh, absolutely, yes. Carl, did you want to add anything? Um, the, um, I don't have any direct experience with unions, but my experience is with people that aren't being heard, and they're going to latch on, whether it's a union, a company, an organization, a committee, or an individual, when they feel like that they're being harmed or something isn't right, and the tendency is to latch on to whatever the hot button is. And that's something that I try diligently not to do to go beyond the issue to something that's just a hot button. I want to stick to the issue. I'll sometimes do something to point out that issue, but I, even though as a former victim and I'm working with a lot of victims, that's one of the things I have trouble with, when people just latch on to something for the purpose of getting attention, and I don't like that. It doesn't serve anyone, and my purpose is to serve my original reason for being in this business, and that's to help people that, that, that need help. Uh, legitimately, openly, and on real issues. Very good. Well, gentlemen, we are hey, way I, over. Dieter, did you have one more? Go ahead. Actually, it was, it was Glenn. Glenn. I can follow up on what, Cl uh, what Cliff was talking about before about unions, but let's hold it for next show. I, that's fine. You sure about that? No, you can go. Uh, go ahead. Uh, well, yeah, listen. There are no – the rules have changed. Well, <laughs> Cliff, you were, you were asking if, if about unions who use indoor quality as an excuse in labor negotiations. Is that what you were asking? No, no. Just the same as Dieter. What happens is it, it just becomes – uh, you know, certainly there are indoor air quality problems in, 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 in a lot of buildings. I, I just was against them just creating things that really weren't there, you know. Yeah, well, it's interesting because in the FAA story I talked about earlier, the um, that's, that's, that's one of FAA's claims is that the um, air traffic control union is using this as an excuse because labor negotiations have stalled. Right. So it always comes up in that context. Yeah, it's interesting. Yep. Well, I got a jo I got a job tomorrow uh, because of a union complaint, and it's a mold thing. And I told them, and I said, "Look, guys, I I know there's a little bit mold. I was at that facility wherever it doesn't matter." And I said, "No, we need you want I want you to sample." And they say it's the killer mold, and I have you have to come out here as soon as possible. And I would have done it today, but I didn't get uh, uh, fresh uh, materials to take the sample, so I have to wait until tomorrow. 
So I got to work on Saturday. Big deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm a union worker. I'm going to get time and a half, right? <laughs> <laughs> might double be time. double time double on time. Saturday. I don't double know. Time. Oh, double time? Yeah, Thank you. <laughs> you, can, you can kick up your rates big time tomorrow, Dieter. Well, hey, yeah. I'd like to really uh I don't do you. that. Thank you very much, Dieter. First, uh, let's let's first thank, of course, our uh, first guest here. That was yep, Carl yes. Grimes. Thank you, Carl. Thanks, Carl. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, Glenn Fellman, absolutely always a, a tremendous pleasure to have you in with the What's News segment. Thanks and What's News, that's right. Yep, that's yes, right. sir. And Dieter, of course, we always love having you on. And uh, our, if you're not around for a while, we start to get some uh, calls and questions. Where's Dieter? So uh, good to have you back. I will be. And my during the winter, my tennis schedule is on Saturdays, not on Fridays. So no problem. All right. Good. <laughs> I have no excuse. <laughs> we'll have you here regular. Uh, this is Joe Hughes saying thanks to, of course, our guest, my co-host, Cliff Slotnick. And our cyber jockey, CJ, Zach Zlotnick. Of course, our technical director, our sponsors, but most importantly to our growing group of loyal listeners. Thanks to all of you for coming back. And wow, you came back in droves this week. Please come back and join us again next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. 